0: Hopefully on your way in you notice that we have uh, some new signs up. Uh, We're we're already trying to get ourselves ready for 2021. I I don't know if it's just me. I'm just ready to get out of 2020. Put the signs up. Let's go. Let's start thinking about 2021. And what we're going to do in 2021, we're going to talk about thriving. We who are in Christ It's amazing. We can thrive in any and every circumstance. I'm going to give you a little bit more information about that in the next month leading up to this next year. But I cannot wait to preach these series of sermons as we, we talk about thriving. But we're not yet done with this year. We got 5 more Sundays uh, to be mindful of, of what it's like when God is at work. And we can come see what God is doing. And right now, we're talking about seeing the difference God makes. And throughout this series, we've been taking just little little snippets of the book of Ephesians and pulling out some of these these wonderful ideas of of the difference that God makes. And again, the difference is is the difference between having the sun and not having the sun. With, with sunshine, there is light, there's life, and there's warmth, and without it, there's not. And so it is with the S-O-N, with the sun, there is light, and there is life, and there is warmth, and He makes all the difference. And today, we're going to look at the difference that God makes as He gives His people the, this, this wonderful thankfulness and wisdom, and they actually go together. One provides the other, as we're going to see in our, our text today. And you've got to know that if we take our eyes off of Jesus, we're, we're going to lose our sense of thankfulness. And without Jesus, we cannot actually have the thankfulness that will lead to a life of wisdom that, that provides the, the very best of what, what God can do in, in our lives. They, they go together, and, and we're going we're to see that today. But know that in the midst of it all, God... God is going to allow us to face trials of various kinds. He's still good. He's completely in control. He knows what he's doing. And as we go through these trials, good news. We we can always be joyful. James chapter 1 beginning in verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's where the gratitude comes from. And as we're grateful in, in the goodness of God, there, there's a wisdom that, that permeates our lives. And, and in this life, we can rejoice even in trials. Again, the, the Apostle Peter was talking to uh, the church that had been dispersed, that was about to face a, a horrible, horrible persecution. He wrote to that church in first Peter chapter one, beginning verse six, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those of us who are in Christ, we can always give thanks. And I don't know about you, but our Thanksgiving was very different this year. There, there were things about it that were disappointing. There, there were aspects of it that did not meet our traditional expectations. And you know what would have been real easy to do? Let's talk about everything we didn't have. You know what would be real easy to do? It is to complain about what, what we don't have. And to tell other people, you know, as though they didn't already have enough problems and to discourage them. I mean, that's, that's easy to do. I don't know if you've seen this commercial. It was during some of the ball games. I just had to mute it. I just almost wanted to turn the TV off. It's this little girl just complaining about how nothing's right and nothing's going the way it ought to be. And it's just like, her daddy needs to smack her. But it's easy to be Negative. It's easy to focus on, on everything in the, the way we want it to be. But here's what God teaches His children. He teaches us to keep our eyes on Him. You know, it's like when, when, when Peter was, was in the midst of that storm. And he's walking on water. But then there's some waves. And he gets distracted. So long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he's walking on water. You take your eyes off of Jesus, you sink. You sink in despair, you sink in the midst of the trials that come. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we look at the goodness of God, it creates gratitude in Christ. We always have reason to be thankful. Thankful hearts in Christ will always lead us to live wisely. And the more wisely we live in Christ, the more thankful we are. The two are tied together in our text today. We learn, we're going to be shown how it is and the difference that God makes when he makes us thankful and wise and what it is we're to do in our everyday living to be thankful and to be wise. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to our text. It's Ephesians chapter 5. It's 21 verses, but they're all really good. And I'm going to read every one of them right now and God willing, explain them to you. So if you don't mind, let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Again, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. There are many who speak of so-called life-changing experiences. They're not always for good. They're not for good in that they're not good in their outcome and they're not permanent. Uh, oftentimes these experiences, they 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 can kind of, track with us momentarily, but they don't, they don't stick. And they're not always the best changes. Sometimes they can, they can actually be, be negative. You know, I celebrated a a birthday recently and it dawned on me that I am one year away from the age in which my dad was when he died. And that'll wake you up. Uh, You know, my dad had, uh, had heart condition. It's, it's rare among Pettis people as far as I know, uh, but he he suffered four heart attacks, and he began in his late thirties and had one every three to four years. And I remember his third heart attack as I was there. And I remember him lying there with nitroglycerin under his tongue, and he looked over at me, and all he could do was whisper, and he said, "I'm sorry." And he had tears coming down his cheeks. Before I knew what to say, stunned by what was happening, the EMTs came in and they took him away. And the next time I saw him, he was in the hospital recovering. And in that time while he was recovering, he, he made some promises. He said, I'm going to give up smoking. I'm going to give up. I'm going to stop eating the way. I'm going to stop being overweight. And I'm going to stop living a stressful life where I'm always trying to get ahead. But, you know, 45 years of, of living a certain way, it's hard just to stop. And he did it. And he died. You know, one of the things I love about God's great gospel is it creates good, permanent life change? It's by the power of the gospel. It's not our willpower. It's, it's not because we decided, oh, we're gonna start doing some things. And today I'm gonna give some application that you can see in the text, but I need you to understand if you're not a Christian, You really can't do these things the way they have to be done in order to produce the outcome that God alone can bring because see, God makes the difference. And what we're trying to see is the difference that God makes. And and he enables us to pursue and recover God's design. And so when we look at the three circles, and that's how we understand life change, we understand that God's design is no longer what we're in. We're no longer within the world that God created. No, we're in a world of sin and brokenness by our own choices. But the good news, the gospel is this, God has entered into our world and we're going to talk about what he did and why and how it is he alone can bring about a change that enables us to pursue and recover God's design and enables us to live a life that is truly thankful and wise. He makes us thankful and wise. Now let's look at this text and see how and why it is God is able to do that. And there's two things I want you to take note of. And I also want you to be mindful, and I'm gonna mention this here in just a few moments. I want you to be mindful of the order. Uh, The second is built on the first. And because the second is true, it leads back to the first. And the first is this God makes us thankful by grace. God makes us thankful by grace. We, we We don't will ourselves, it's not willpower that makes us thankful. It's not just because we're keeping our mouth shut and not focusing on negative that makes us thankful. It's because of something God has specifically done. See, those who repent and believe the gospel, we can't help but be thankful. Because grace actually does something. It does several things. There's three things I would encourage you to see in our, our text today. and You might want to underline these if that's your Bible. We're thankful for grace that, first of all, makes us beloved children. Look at that. Be imitators of God. Look at that. You might underline this. As beloved children children we were once orphans lost in the world out in the streets in sin and God the father sent his son to seek us out and at a redemption price brought us into his family and now we have a place at his table we have been adopted into his eternal family and we are now his beloved children not only that grace enables us to walk in love and look at verse 2 to command, and walk in love, but not our love. It's in Christ's love, as Christ loved us. Our love will always be tainted with sin. Sinful love, human love, has led to some of the, the worst atrocities in the world. Out of a love for a child that was lost, out of a love for a nation that was attacked, there have been awful things that have been done. But the love of God is pure. The love in Christ... Is complete. It's whole. It's good in every way. And when we have that love in us that we receive by grace through faith in Christ alone, that love begins to drive our love. And so we're able to love as Christ loved us. And that happens because of the, of the third thing I, I would encourage you to look at here. This grace that we get, it provides the, and this is an important word, the just means, the just means that provide for our salvation. What are those just means? Well, look what it says here. And he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There are so many who are confused about our God. I was in a a conversation on, on social media, direct messaging with a person who doesn't understand our God, and couldn't understand why a good God would allow something like hell and why a good God would allow suffering and pain and and that sort of thing. And I explained that the world is not as it should be, that we chose sin, that sin has horrible effects, specifically brokenness, and that sin is first and foremost against God himself. And God is eternal. So the slightest, what we would consider the slightest of sins is a heinous attack. It's an act of treason against the king of heaven, Who is to forever be praised? But because of our sin, our sin has an eternal impact on our souls. See, God is just. Not only is he loving, but he's just and he's holy. And it's not enough that that God can just say, oh, that's okay. Just do your best. It'll, It'll be all right. That's not God. God is perfectly just which means there must be perfect justice there must be punishment for the crime that's why God himself entered into time and space and became one of us he came and and he lived a holy life he was blameless without sin because he was blameless and without sin and because he was eternal God He was able to stand in our place. He was able to be our substitute. Because the cost of sin is death. God himself was able to, with his eternal power and being and holiness, take responsibility for our sin. And when he died... He died with our sin on him. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 became real. He who knew no sin became sin. He knew no sin, but he became sin. He took on our sin so that the just demands of God would be fully met so that we could be not just forgiven, but that the penalty for our forgiveness would be completely paid. This is what the grace of God has done. It's made us adopted children. It's made us those who can love with the love of God. It's set us free from the penalty of sin. And and it's because of that we can be imitators of God. Again, that's where the, the verse begins. Be imitators of God. We are to be imitators of our Father as dearly loved children. You know, Children typically take take on the customs of the father. It's really interesting. If you you talk to people and and you talk about, you know, the sports team that they like or the the, the political ideology that they, they hold to or maybe the hobbies that they have, many times people can point back to, well, this is what my father did. This was my father's team. My father took me to this game. My father voted this way. My, my, my father, these were the things that, that he liked to do when he wasn't working. And these are the things he did with us. These are the places that he took us. You know, I have a wonderful father-in-law and his name is Larry Summer. And, and Larry taught me he taught me responsibility to, to, to lead a family, to care for a family, to pray for a family, to pursue God, even if it costs you things that you want. He taught me so many good things, but he also taught me one terrible thing, one unbelievably awful thing. He taught me to be a Vanderbilt fan. And I remember when it happened. I can remember like it was yesterday. We were in high school. It was 1990, fall of 1990. Uh, Carrie and I, we were in high school. We went with him to a Vandy football game. It was against LSU. And we had so much fun. I had never seen Larry act this way. He was yelling at people. He was fighting mad and I liked it. He, he, he was talking trash. It was great. And I thought this was fun. And you know what? The craziest thing happened that day. Vanderbilt won. And I remember walking away thinking, I like this. I like Vanderbilt. This is going to be my thing. You know, that was the only game they won that year. (laughs) They won one game. And here I was stuck because it had my heart. I mean, it gets broken. I've become hard-hearted. Don't make a mistake about it. I mean, it's a sad day when the only good thing that happens in a football game is something a girl does. Okay, that's bad. And praise God, we need more of them. We need more girls on that team. I'm telling you right now, it'd be good for us. Maybe the only way we maybe sneak out of way. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take, but I blame Larry. I blame him for the heartache. I blame him for the pain because he taught me to be a Vandy fan. But I will say, all the other good offsets that one bad thing. You know what's amazing about God, our father? There's not one bad thing about him. There's not one bad thing that he teaches us. I love the descriptor in, in James chapter one, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down. Look at this the way that, that God is described. Look at the name. Down from the Father of Lights. What a great name with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. He's the perfect father all the time. He's the father of lights. He gives only good gifts. He only gives us good things. And the greatest gift he has ever given us was his son. Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And whoever believes in Jesus gains this eternal life. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is by grace. It's not something we earn. It is through faith. It's something we simply receive because we believe. By grace, through faith in Christ, the one who paid the penalty for our sin, that we are saved. We are made children of God. We are made those who can love as God loves. We are made those who are forgiven eternally. And it is this bought life that makes us wise. It's this, this life of gratitude that comes about because this new life that we receive in Christ is a life that is lived in wisdom. And that's the second thing I want you to take note of. And I want you to remember the order. I'm going to speak to this, but write it down. And I want to speak to the importance of the order of this. The second thing is this, God makes us wise In obedience. In obedience. I want to make sure you understand the order of this. There's a lot of confusion about this. And I want to make sure that I'm very clear about this. Understand, it begins with grace. God makes us thankful by grace. And then that grace makes us wise in obedience. Remember, grace, grace leads to obedience. Obedience does not produce God's grace. It wouldn't be grace if we could produce it. Grace is unmerited favor. It is a free gift. It's what God gives because he is good. It's not what he gives because we are good. If that were the case, he would never get it because we're, give it because we're not good. He alone is good. He is glorious. He is holy. He is loving. And in his grace, he gives us forgiveness and life. And, and, and a, a, a place at his table, we become his children. Know for a fact, you can never earn salvation. Obedience does not produce grace. It is the grace of God given in Jesus Christ that produces this obedience. And by grace, we are saved into a new life. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this new life we have in Christ enables us to live wisely. Living obedient to God is living wisely. And the admonition in our text today is clear. Go back to Ephesians 5. Look at verse 15 and 17. Look at this command. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, we're in a section of Scripture that is it's, it's primarily application. Just as a reminder, Ephesians chapter one through three is doctrine. Chapter 1 tells us uh, how how the work of the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit brings about salvation. Chapter 2 tells us what salvation is and how we come to receive it. And chapter 3 just kind of digs down into these fundamental uh, truths about what Christ has done and and who we become in Christ alone. But then in chapter 4, as we saw last week, there is that therefore... And there is a tra- there's a change in, in purpose. The intent now, chapters four through six, is application. And I said this last week, and I try to say it from time to time, just, just to help us to, to understand how it is we, we need to, to grasp these things. What we believe will always impact how we feel. And what we think and feel will always determine what we do. And so, friends, it's a head, heart, hands action. We believe the truth. It changes our heart and it it drives what we do with our lives. And so the section of scripture that we're in right now is, is explaining how we are to live based on what it is Christ has done for us. And this way of life described in these verses, it can only happen if you're in Christ. See, without Christ, you stand in sin. Without Christ, you are not a child of God. Without Christ, your love will always be tainted. So, so if you're not in Christ, you, you won't be grateful to God for His grace. And outside of His grace, you will never live in obedience to Him. But this obedience that we have, it is a wise way of life. And, and there's, there's four things. Now, I, I, I realized in the first service that people were my, writing like wild people. And so I, I want to save you some of your, your ink there and, and know that I have posted this already on social media. And so it's, it's kind of lengthy, the four things that, that you can see in the text. You're welcome to take a picture of them, but don't worry about writing them down. Just let them soak in. Go back and write them down later and, and review them. But there's four things here that, that happens when we're living wisely by being obedient to Jesus. And the first one is this. Filthiness and foolish talk are absent. You you look in verses three through five, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. It's not even something that describes you. It's not even something that you're around. If someone were to say, oh, this person talks like this or this person acts like this or this person was engaged in, people would say, no way. That, 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 That doesn't have any part of that person's life. I know that person's life. That does not match in any way making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We, we have this responsibility to understand that there's to be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Friends, the, the way of impurity is easy. All you have to do is what you naturally desire. To be filthy, all you have to do is be completely human. And to be human is to act on impulse, natural desire, which is extremely unwise, and it always leads to pain and suffering and brokenness. Unguarded words. Well, I just, I just lost my cool. Oh, I'm sure God will take that as an explanation. No. Well, I just don't know if I love him anymore. Love is a choice. You don't get a divorce because you feel a certain way. Love is a choice. You choose to forgive. You choose to stay together. You choose it. You choose to honor God. And you choose it not because you have the willpower, but because you have the love power given to you in Christ Jesus. And so there's no place for that kind of talk. There's no place for that impure. There's no place for that filthiness in a person who's the blood-bought saint of the Son of God to the glory of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's just no place for it. It's a new life. Second thing, you know, deception is exposed and avoided and holy partnerships are formed. Oh, this is so important. Let no one deceive you, beginning in verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. You are not in darkness. You are children of light. Do not partner with darkness. Friends, be careful who your friends are. Don't partner with darkness. Thanksgiving morning, having spent time alone with the Lord and prayed, I began to send and receive texts from a core group of friends, men that I trust, that are my partners. They have complete authority and responsibility to call me out, and I have that for them. We are Christians, which means we're not perfect. It means we're saved. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're learning and growing in the knowledge of the word. And because we love one another out of a love for Christ, we look after each other. Be partners. Be friends with godly people. Young people, be careful who you date. I've said this for for decades now. Every date is a potential mate. Do not partner with darkness. You are a child of light you are to partner with light and live in that life as husband and wife and to produce children that you make disciples of who live out what it means to love and to know Jesus. Friends, be very careful who you partner with for entertainment and information. Most people don't think about it as a partnership. But whatever it is you watch for enjoyment, whatever you go to as sources of information, you need to be aware what you're basically doing is saying, I trust you. I trust you to tell me a story and to show me images and use language that that form my worldview, that form my affections, because what I think will determine how I feel, which will determine how I live. So what you watch and and, and what it is you, you find truth from, you're partnering with that. Now, in our broken world, it's going to be very difficult to get information from a source that is pure light other than the Word of God. So you've got to have friends who hold to the Word of God. And as you have one foot in the world, because we are in the world, though not of the world, Jesus said, we're able to discern together what is true and right and how it is we are to live according to the Word. But friends, if you're just going to go on what you feel, what your natural inclination is, you're going to be unwise. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt other people. Walking in the light means that you partner with light. You, you allow people to speak into your life who hold to the light. And you bring light to them. And together you discern what it is God is calling us to. And it is out of that we possibly could be, a, we could be revived. And in that revived state lead to an awakening. That's the third thing. Awakenings occur through the shining of Christ, through revived people. Look at the last part of verse 14. I love this. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Church, I I ask you to pray for two things every day. I I ask you, I'm begging you to pray. I, I, I don't know how to say it any more strongly than that, To pray every day for two things. That means that you've got to go to our website and you've got to pull up the prayer focus. The prayer focus will provide prayers. And it's only six days. I give you Sunday off. I ask you to pray for two things. One thing is the same thing every day. I ask you to pray for an awakening. And I give you a different awakening prayer every week. Pray for an awakening and then the other days of the week, I give you a specific need in our church, our city, or world that needs praying for. But on Wednesday in particular, I ask you to pray for revival. Friends, don't fail me. Don't fail this church. Don't fail yourself. Pray. Pray for an awakening. Pray for God to revive. And God can, God has. You know, I'm, I'm reading Bill Bright's uh, biography right now, and I'm enjoying it so much. And it's been such an encouragement to me because the 60s were such a strange time. It's very much like our time today. There was unbelievable social turmoil. There was, there was all kinds of, of, of political uh, changes that were happening. No one knew the direction that the country was going to come in. But yet, there began to be these revivals that began to shoot up all over the country. Ministries like Campus Crusade for Christ and FCA and the Navigators and the Billy Graham Association began to really, really began to have huge influence on our culture. Churches were praying. Churches were being revived. And out of that sense of revival, there were movements of awakenings in our country. Large numbers of people were being saved. Last night I was reading how in Berkeley, California, of all places, there was a massive movement of God's Spirit, and many secularists and those who were holding to non-biblical views repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ and became outspoken proponents who were defending the faith as apologists because God had gifted them with sharp minds. And then once they had the truth, they began to stand and boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, and it can happen today. Today. It can happen now. It can happen in our land. But it happens through prayer. It happens through us being children of light, walking wisely in the grace that God has given. It's, it's a living that is spirit-led. And that's the last one. Spirit-led living leads to encouragement, worship, and humble service. Spiritual people speak the truth of God's word. We address one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs and and in, in our own hearts, what do we do as we're working, as we're, as we're out running, as we're, as we're out doing our day-to-day life in our hearts, what are we doing? We're singing praise to God. We're, we've got these songs of praise to God in our heart and we're thinking on his goodness and we're singing it to him and we're praying it to him and we're speaking of it to other people and we are happily submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ Again, it doesn't happen without Christ. See, all other forms of human submission are always outside of Christ. Some form of manipulation. We can't help ourselves. We are fearful creatures in a broken world. And those outside of Christ Even in our best moments, we have a selfish motive. We manipulate. But what God frees us to do is to love as he is loved. What God frees us to do is to say, you can go first. Hey, I'll take care of that. Hey, I want to do that. Hey, let me submit. Let me take, let me, let me carry that burden. I'm glad to serve you. Submitting to one another, not because the other people deserve it. Not because we're so good and great. Out of reverence for Christ. And without Christ, you will fail to live wisely. And without wisdom, you will not be thankful. And remember, thankfulness comes by grace. And that grace produces a changed life that is wise. And it's in that wisdom that we're always thankful. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I can't help but know that there are some who are here today who are living unwise lives. And some, it's because they're not Christians. And I prayed that even right now that they would, in their hearts, because you hear them, would repent and believe the gospel. They would tell you that they are sinners, tell you that they believe that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin, tell you that they want to live in obedience to you for the rest of their life. And if you're doing that right now, you need to be baptized immediately. Immediately. You need to let someone know that you've repented and believed the gospel and that you are now saved and you're ready to be baptized. Every believer is baptized. Father, I can't help but know that there are some baptized believers here who have, who have fallen into the ways of the world, which is idolatry. We so easily put our faith in things that don't last. And this, this time in our world I I believe, God, you're telling us that we can't rely on our health and we can't rely on our traditions and we can't rely on our rights. We can only rely on you because you alone don't change. So, Father, I pray that even now we would repent, that we would acknowledge that so much of our our downheartedness is because our, our idols have failed. So much of our sadness is because the way we think and believe and want things to be, they're not. And because we have placed and made dependent our happiness upon those things, we're miserable. And God, we're wrong. You alone make us whole. You alone make us happy. You alone are good. And because we have you, we have everything we need to be whole and satisfied And yes, even happy so that we can rejoice. So God, help us to believe. Forgive our unbelief and strengthen us. And as you strengthen us and revive us and do revive us, bring an awakening to our city and nation and world. To the praise and the glory of your great name, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.